0: Hello and welcome to Catechesis, a teaching series aimed to instruct in foundational Christian doctrine and to encourage piety amongst the people of God. For those who don't know me, my name is Joe Anity. I have the pleasure of serving as pastor at Emmaus Reformed Baptist Church in Hemet, California, and I'm happy that you've joined me today. In this second lesson, we will be considering questions two and three of the Baptist Catechism. Question two asks, Ought everyone to believe there is a God? The answer given? Everyone ought to believe there is a God, and it is their great sin and folly who do not. And so let's talk about this question and answer for a moment. Notice that the Catechism is not asking, does everyone believe there is a God? Instead, it asks, ought everyone to believe there is a God? If the question were, does everyone believe there is a God, the answer would be no, for not everyone in the world believes that God exists. There are many who live in this world who deny the existence of God. And those who deny God's existence are called atheists. Atheists do exist. They are those who say there is no such thing as God. But I think there are many more who are practical atheists. And by practical atheists, I mean those who might say, yes, God exists with their mouths, but who deny him with their way of life. Our catechism is not asking does, but ought, or should everyone believe there is a God. And the answer is, perhaps the young ones could repeat after me here, everyone ought to believe there is a God. And it is their great sin and folly who do not. This is actually an unpopular thing to say in our day and age. Uh, Many are of the opinion that it is wrong to say that a person ought to believe this or that at all, but that every person should be free to believe whatever they wish without being pressured by others to take another view. And while we agree that those who hold to different views than ours should be treated with respect and with kindness, we cannot agree that they should be left in their unbelief. In our view, they should be encouraged to believe as we believe, for we believe that what we believe is true and good for every man and for all mankind. Of course, our hope is not only that men and women would come to believe that God exists. In other words, our goal is not merely that people would be converted from atheism to theism. In our view, though a conversion like that might do some good for the man and for mankind, it will not do any good at all as it pertains to the salvation of that soul. Instead, our desire is that men and women would come to be Christians. Our hope is that they would come to have faith in Jesus the Christ, the only mediator between God and man. For the scriptures testify there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is Acts 4, verse 12. But with that said, it should not be difficult to understand that the foundation of all true religion is the belief in the existence of God. Hebrews eleven six speaks to this, saying, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Ought everyone to believe there is a God? Yes, everyone ought to believe there is a God. And then our catechism goes on to say, And it is their great sin and folly who do not. Why is disbelief in God called a sin? In fact, it is not called a sin, but great sin. When people think of great sins, they may think of sins like murder or adultery. But our catechism calls disbelief in the existence of God a great sin, and it is right that it does. What a terrible thing it is for a creature to deny their Creator. How awful it is for a person to enjoy the good things of this life while disregarding the one who gives those gifts. It is most ungrateful. They are like an ungrateful child who despises the goodness of their parents. Moreover, to deny God's existence is to set the whole of your life on the wrong trajectory. You were created to know, to love, to worship, and obey God. And when you deny his existence, you also decide to live not for God's glory, but for the glory of another. You might not think of it in those terms, but this you certainly do. Instead of living for God's glory, you live for the glory of another. And yet Isaiah 42 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Everyone worships something. That is even true of the atheist. But if we worship and serve something other than the creator of all things, that means we are worshiping something that is created. And that is the sin of idolatry. It is a most heinous sin. Notice that disbelief in God is also called. Great folly. Everyone ought to believe there is a God, and it is their great sin and folly who do not. Folly means foolishness. Listen to Psalm fourteen: one, which says, "The fool says in his heart, "There is no God." The root cause of the fool's foolishness is their disbelief in God. The fool is a fool because they are an atheist, either truly an atheist or practically one. Most fools would probably say that they believe in the existence of God, but if they were pressed to it, it would become clear that they do not honor God from the heart, but have said in their heart there is no God. And it is from this disregard for God in the heart that all of their folly or foolishness proceeds. Psalm 14:1 goes on to say that they, that is the fool who disregards God in the heart, are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Ought everyone to believe there is a God? Perhaps you should repeat after me once more. Everyone ought to believe there is a God. And it is their great sin and folly who do not. Question three of the Baptist Catechism naturally flows from question two. It asks, How may we know there is a God? That is a good question, isn't it? If it is true that we ought to believe that God exists, well, how may we know? How may we know there is a God? The answer is a bit longer. The light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declare that there is a God, but his word and spirit only do it fully and effectively for the salvation of sinners. And so two answers are given to the question, how may we know there is a God? One, we may know that God exists through what is commonly called general or natural revelation. And two, we know that God exists through the scriptures, which are commonly called special revelation. Let us talk for a moment about general or natural revelation, which our catechism refers to, saying the light of nature and man and the works of God plainly declare that there is a God. What is meant by the light of nature in man. Well, we should remember that man is made in the image of God. We are able to see evidence for God's existence when we look at men and women, therefore. Men and women are rational, relational, and spiritual creatures. Man is a moral creature. We know the difference between right and wrong. Men and women are compelled naturally to worship. Consider how... Universal religion is people all over the world worship. They are religious. And all of these things and many others are evidences for the existence of God. What is meant by the works of God? This is a reference to the created world in which we human beings live. The universe constantly declares that there is a creator. Consider the size, the complexity, the beauty, and order of the universe. Consider how the world is a place suitable for human habitation. All of this communicates that a creator and sustainer exists. This is what Psalm 19 verses 1 and 2 speaks to. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Romans 1, 19-20 also says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, that is to humanity, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse, Paul reasons. The point is this. One way for us to know that God exists is to look at the created world. The light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declare that there is a God. This is God's general or natural revelation of himself to us. When we speak of revelation, we are talking about God revealing or making something plain and clear. This kind of revelation is called natural because it is clearly observed in the world that God has made, that is, in nature. This revelation is called general for two reasons. One, it is general in that it is available to all. And two, it is general in that it is not specific in what it reveals. We can learn from nature that God exists, but we cannot learn from nature that Jesus is the Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, for example. Though this Revelation is general and not specific, it is still clear in what it reveals. The light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declare that there is a God. I've heard it said that the most difficult thing to do, intellectually speaking, is to be a true and consistent atheist. The atheist must constantly fight against and explain away the testimony of the created world concerning the existence of God. In other words, the created world constantly testifies to God's existence, but the atheist must always find ways to ignore or dismiss its clear and unrelenting testimony. Let us now talk for a moment about special revelation, which our catechism refers to saying, but his word and spirit only do it fully and effectively for the salvation of sinners. In this phrase, we are reminded of the limitations of general or natural revelation, which we have just talked about. When we observe nature, we may know that God exists. We might see that he is powerful, that he is wise and generous. But general or natural revelation is limited in what it reveals. Specifically, men and women cannot be brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus the Christ by means of general or natural, revelation. That passage in Romans 1, 18-19 that was read earlier testifies to this. Again, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And then the passage says, so they are without excuse. According to Paul general revelation only reveals enough to leave all men and women without excuse before God. In other words, they learn enough to know that they ought to honor God, but they don't do it. We humans, in our sin, suppress the truth in unrighteousness and thus stand guilty before God without excuse. But in the phrase that we are now considering, we are also reminded that God, by His grace, has revealed Himself more clearly than He has in nature. God has also spoken. He has given us His Word, but His Word and Spirit only do it fully and effectively for the salvation of sinners. Today we have the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament in their completed and final form. But we should not forget that in times past, God also spoke through the prophets, and he spoke supremely through his own Son. Hebrews 1.1 reminds us of this, saying, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The word to notice here in this passage is spoke. God, who created the heavens and earth, has spoken. He has revealed himself specifically and clearly. He has entered into covenants with man. He revealed the gospel, which means good news, to man once fallen into sin. Now that the Christ has come, we have the scriptures written down and completed. The Bible tells us all that we need to know about who God is. The Bible tells us all we need to know about what God requires of us. The Bible shows us our sin and the way of salvation through faith in Jesus the Christ. In the scriptures, we have God's specific and special revelation to us. Lastly, notice that our catechism says that the only way for men and women to be saved is by the word and spirit. In other words, the word... The gospel of Jesus Christ must be proclaimed, and the Spirit of God must also regenerate, giving men and women eyes to see, ears to hear, and the will to believe the gospel unto the salvation of their souls. Let me now conclude by making three points of application. One, given what we have just learned, we ought to treasure the word of God for in the scriptures we find God's special revelation of himself to us. There in the scriptures we find the words of his holy prophets and apostles. There we find the Christ proclaimed and prophesied in the Old Testaments and the account and application of his coming in the New. We ought to treasure the word of God, for it is God's special revelation to us. I do hope that you grow to love this catechism that we are studying, but I especially hope that you grow to love God's word more and more, for the scriptures are our authority for truth. Parents, I might speak to you saying, it would be a shame if we taught our children this catechism, but not the scriptures. And so we should read the Bible often. We should certainly come to hear it proclaimed each Lord's Day. It is important for families to read the Bible together. Parents, teach your children about the Bible. Teach your children about its structure. It's made up of two Testaments. It consists of 66 books, so on and so forth. Teach them about the Old and New Testaments, what they are and what distinguishes them. Teach them about the individual books of the Bible and read the Scriptures to them often. Perhaps a good study Bible like the ESV Study Bible would be a good investment for you to make, for there we have some commentary provided also there you will find introductions to each of the books of the Bible, who wrote the book, when was it written, what was its purpose and main theme. These can be very helpful to parents as they seek to teach their children the scriptures. Psalm one hundred nineteen one hundred five says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word illumines our path so that we might walk correctly in this world. In 2 Timothy 3, 14-15, Paul speaks to Timothy, saying, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. May that be said of all of our children, that they have been acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood. 2 Let us also enjoy nature and come to see the revelation of God in it. Uh, The Christian, having been illuminated by God's special revelation, is in a privileged position to enjoy and appreciate God's general revelation. When we look at nature, we see God's power, his faithfulness, and his kindness. We see that he is most beautiful, wise, and glorious. In nature, we see that God is good. This Revelation is there for all to see, but I am saying that the Christian, the one who has been informed by the Scriptures, is able to perceive it most clearly. And so we ought to enjoy the natural world, we ought to learn to see the truth of God in it, and we should be good stewards of it to the glory of God. Thirdly and lastly, uh, let us preach the gospel to others, knowing that it is the only way that men and women will be saved. And as we preach the gospel, let us also learn to use the general revelation of God to compel men and women to believe. Special revelation, that is the scriptures, and general revelation, nature, perfectly agree in what they say. And the skilled evangelist will learn to use the message of general revelation that is available to all to compel men and women to believe what the scriptures say about God and specifically about Christ. Brothers and sisters, I am glad that you've tuned in today. I do pray that you've been edified by this teaching. I encourage you to memorize these catechism questions and answers. And until next time, abide in Christ.